Blog Talk Radio. everything you want it to be? Are you living a fulfilled, passionate life empowered with choices that ignite you to the next level? Good love makes your whole life better. So join America's good love doctor, Dr. Brenda Wade, on a journey to your healthiest life yet. A regular on Dr. Oz and Dr. Drew, she's appeared on Oprah, Good Morning America, and is featured in countless publications from USA Today to Essence Magazine. The creator of life-changing Get Unstuck Now, Love, Money, and Save a Seminars, she's counseled millions, but today she's here just for you with the hottest topics, guests, and trends. This is Good Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to tonight's program. Whether you're listening live or via recording, strap yourself in. We have a fantastic show tonight that's going to relate to everyone because we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about the science of getting rich. Now, some of you may be thinking, is there a science to getting rich? And the answer is, yeah, a proven, absolutely unassailable strategy that takes you from thinking about your dreams to living your dreams. Are you ready for that? I know you are. My special guest today is someone who inspires me, inspires me to step into more than I ever dreamed possible. It's Phyllis Newhouse. She's an African-American businesswoman tycoon with no peer, and she's a heroine to boot, a real hero or as I like to say, a Shiro. In just a moment, you're going to find out why she deserves that title and why she's a guiding light, not just for me, but for so many women and men as well. So just before I introduce Phyllis, I want to tell you that as always on this show, we are focusing on why good love is essential to your greatness. Mm -hmm. Think about it. It's essential to your greatness. How to identify the negative patterns that may be blocking you from true intimacy and, by the way, from good love and great success because how we do anything is how we do everything. And, of course, we're going to focus on breaking the chains of what happened back then so you're free to experience what's happening right now. Now, we have a mantra for this program. You all know the mantra by now, so do it with me. I am worthy. Say that. I am worthy. And now breathe in. I am deserving. Yes, breathe it in. I am deserving. And now the last part is, and I love me. 
unconditionally. I love me unconditionally. That's the hard part for most of us. So it's I am worthy and I am deserving and I love me unconditionally. And I want you to practice that little thought pattern affirmation mantra, whatever you choose to call it. But what we're doing is building new patterns in your brain and your brain is going to operate on a different channel when you feel you're worthy, deserving, and you love yourself. Now, let me tell you about Ms. Phyllis Newhouse. She is the CEO and the co-founder of Extreme Solutions Incorporated. She's a retired United States Army non-commissioned officer who has worked tirelessly as an advocate for homeless veterans. She's also a member of the National Association of Women Business Owners, NABO, and the Women Presidents Organization, WPO. She's received numerous military awards and recognitions over her 22-year military career, and she's here. She's here for us tonight on Good Love Radio to talk to us about her personal journey and how a book written in the year 1910 changed her life. So welcome, Phyllis. How are you? Oh, I am wonderful, Dr. Wade. Thank you so much for having me um, on the show tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you don't have to be formal with me because you know I admire you so much. And I'm a little bit in that, oh, wow, somebody who's a mentor to me gets to share their gift with our community. So whether you are listening live via recording, whether you're in the U.S. or someplace else in the world, I promise you, you're going to learn something from Phyllis. So Phyllis, if you don't mind, would you share a little bit of your story with everyone? Because you have such a unique journey. Okay. Well, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I guess I will start from uh, from the beginning of the journey. Um, I was, um, I'm number 10 of uh, 13 kids, um, and uh, I come from a, a, you know, come from a very close-knit family, and uh, over the years, um, over the years, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that I'll share along the way that um, are takeaways as a result of where I come from. So my mom was a uh, was not necessarily a stay home mom. She worked along with raising um, the entire family and her siblings. So in our home, there was really uh, about 18 kids um, because she was also raising. Her mother passed away at a young age uh, after giving childbirth, and so she ended up bringing her brothers and sisters and raising all of us in one home. Wow! So, so your mother's mother passed away. And your mother took in her siblings as well as having all of her own children. Absolutely. Wow. And uh, mother, your mother's amazing. Yeah, and, and uh, she is she is such a big part of of uh, my journey um, as, as well. I mean, every every day of my life, there's something that reminds me of that relationship. And you know, I, I'm so fortunate to have been in a family. Of the, of, you know, the dynamics of our family. I, I say there's, um, when I look back on all the personalities, and I thank God for each and every one of them because it does shape who you become. So, but, you know, growing up with, with uh, lots of brothers and sisters, um, you know, I knew at a, 
very young age and uh, that I was uh, was going to do something um, different in life that um, uh, that had to do with selling things. I, I just knew that I was a good motivator. I could motivate other, you know, I was the one, uh, my mom used to say, uh, go out and get everybody and tell them it's time for dinner. Uh, there was, you know, certainly uh, siblings that she wouldn't ask to do that because they uh, couldn't round up the crew. And so I would be the one going out telling everybody, come on, let's get ready. So so there was a, uh, that is really where leadership began. Uh, so, <laughs> it took leadership to round up 18 people. My God, absolutely, yes, absolutely. So she she used she told me recently. She said, "Oh, I used to have you go and get everybody and round everybody and bring everybody to the table because it took a special skill set. And even as a child, I go back and look at those things, and I, and I know that is where I began that journey of leadership and how impactful just giving those little tasks as a child." shaped who I became as a leader. Mm. And so, so you know, uh, so, uh, so Brenda, really going back to that journey, um, I would say over the last couple of years I've had an opportunity to really look at how um, some of the things in my childhood uh, and having those life experiences really prepared me for, the, for, the, for this piece of the journey that I'm on now. So after, um, you know, growing up in a big family, I... Um, uh, knew my parents was very clear about that we didn't have the money to go that they could afford to send us to college. So the only way that you were going to get a college education, um, you had to be, um, you know, to get a scholarship or you had to work and go to college. But it, there was no funding for 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 college. So um, so all, although I had aspirations to uh, attend university, I knew that it was going to be self-funded. Uh, that there would not be funds available for that. So, so that was the other thing. I saw the struggles that my family had. I saw the struggles that it took to raise that many children, and I immediately thought, I have to do something about that. There, there is something in life that I'm supposed to be doing that will ultimately impact this entire family. And it didn't take me uh, until a couple of years ago to realize that uh, that's the journey that I was supposed to be on. I was supposed to be uh, the one that was chosen to be impactful in a way that others could see and, and, and build, begin to build that legacy uh, in this family. So, you know, go, so, you know when I left home, um, I ended up going to school for a very short period of time and, and decided that I wanted to um, go into the military. I wanted now, the opportunity. Now, you grew up, let me back up for 10 seconds, if you don't mind. You grew up in South Carolina, is that right? Uh, in, in North Carolina. North so I'm Carolina, from, okay. I'm in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. Uh, and so, okay. yeah, in Charlotte. The, so most of the family still, you know, lives that reside in Charlotte. But that's where I grew up. And so... When I when I went to school, the school was in North Carolina, and then I left and joined the military, and I left uh, from North Carolina. So, you know, so my so my my uh, when most people would say their transition into the military was, a, uh, it was a, a wake up call. It was it was a piece of cake for me, because I had already come from an environment that was very structured and very you know, um, very organized in terms of we had a certain time of the morning we had to get up. If you wanted to take a shower, you needed to be the first one up. That's right, <laughs> because there was a line. 
eat. You didn't t- spend a lot of time talking. So this, this, so so it was so funny when I went in the military. I thought, wow, this is just like going through the chow line at home. So it wasn't really that different or really complicated for me. <laughs> you so grew I was up <laughs> in an army of your very own, no question. Exactly. So and then you know it's just funny when I looked at all the things that you, most people struggle with in the military. They became very. It were very easy for me to follow the rules because we were, these were set, some of the same set of rules that we had growing up. So, you know, so, so my, my journey, my early stages in the early years in the military was, you know, it was, it was a very exciting time. I had an opportunity to travel the world. I was very young. I was very young as a leader in the military um, with a lot of responsibilities at the age of 22 uh, when you are um, – you know, tasked to uh, to run an organization with 1,500 people. And you're only 22 years old. Oh so my that was, God! So you were already in a position of leadership of 20. How many people? 1,500, and you're 22 years old. 22 years old, oh. and um, so that was. Uh, and and I, and I said this uh, a couple of days ago that the most terrifying thing was to take my life experience and 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 devalue what my strengths were be based off of the age i knew that there was i had the ability to lead but i i was stuck on the fact that i was only 22 and so as soon as i got over that hurdle it was like i don't care if you know you you failure is not an option and once i kept saying failure is not an option failure is just not an option then it became, I became, you know, it became more of an easy task for me to learn how to build those leadership. So I knew that getting that responsibility at 22, that um, this was all, uh, this was this was not an opportunity for a training ground for me, but it certainly was. I had the ability uh, to grow as a leader. So that that first uh, uh, out of the gate, I say, uh, leadership. Um, role that I had was more for me to build myself as a leader uh, and and to be able to use that as I grew in the military. And so yeah, and it spent- sounds like one of the things you got also was you had a chance, and this is something everybody I think can relate to. Most of us have some self-doubt. Most of us have a place where we say, I can't do it I'm too young, I'm a woman, I'm too old, uh, I don't have enough experience, I'm black, I'm white, I'm whatever. Everybody has some reason that they give themselves for self-doubt. So the very first thing you had to do was conquer the self-doubt. Right, absolutely. And and and, and the military teaches you, what, what, I, I would say this, there, you know, we, we talk about improvise and overcome you know you you have to overcome in order to be successful and that, that and and I remember having a mentor very young um leader who came to me and said you know I would not have recommended anybody else for this position and I believe in you more than you believe in yourself right now and that's not good and and he goes and that's very disappointing and that was a moment it was a defining moment in my career in the military to say you can never um, allow um, people that are trusting you for leadership to believe that you think that you can't do it, and so uh, so that was a, that was a, a turning point for me, and it was all and it also too gave me an opportunity to really say what type of leader am I, and what type of leader am I? A fearless leader? 
Am I a motivator? Am I so it, I, it, it gave me an opportunity to start to shape that character, those characteristics of the leadership skills that I wanted to have, and how I wanted people to see me, and how I wanted to lead by example. So, um, so, so, so as I transitioned through that, and of course I had you know uh, several assignments after that. Um, I, you know, I, I would I tell you the, the the military teaches you how to build organizations and how to lead and how to strategically now, plan. Now, what was and, your favorite assignment? Tell us about one of those assignments. Uh, I, I would say uh, one of my favorite... Oh, and favorite by the way, before we, we launch, everybody, I forgot to tell you, you can join the conversation live by calling us at 347-989-0773. That's 347-989-0776. Or hit me back on Facebook, Dr. Brenda Wade, or on Twitter, Dr. Brenda Wade, tweet at us. And Cliff, who is our associate producer, is standing by, and he will send your questions to us. Any questions you have about leadership, and in just a minute you're going to hear the astonishing story of how Phyllis's assignments, her early life, shaped who she is and what she's doing today. So you can join the conversation. Go ahead, please. Phyllis, tell us about your favorite assignment. So my favorite assignment, uh, I would have to tell you, was uh, probably when, uh, well, I had two, but I was, the one I, that comes to mind first, um, I was in Germany um, stationed at the European Headquarters Command. And, uh, and, and the reason why that was one of my favorite assignments because this, this is where when we say in the military, uh, you know, he- heavy brass, that means, you know, these are all senior-level generals and, you know, admirals and, you know, all, you know, command sergeant majors. These are really, really senior people. And so I got heavy brass. Okay, I learned a new heavy phrase brass. today, heavy brass. Yeah, this was the heavy brass. And this was the first time that I've been in 10 years, about, about nine years, that I had ever seen that many senior female leaders. They, you just didn't see them. And so the boss that I had at the time was a female general, and you, they just, there, there just wasn't a lot of them in the military. And so, so here was an opportunity where we, I had an opportunity, to, we had an opportunity to share, we had an opportunity to care for one another, and, uh, be, and to be responsible but that the, of the role that we had as senior leaders. And so, um, so that was one of my favorite assignments because I, I learned so much uh, from a lot of the senior female military leaders that I worked for at the time. It was one of the best assignments. And the second assignment, I would say, was when I got uh, stationed at the Pentagon uh, for that first time. And, again, um, seeing so many African-American senior leaders in the Pentagon and having an opportunity to have exchange and mentorship from those um, was really, I think it was a turning point for me in my career uh, at the time. Well, now, back up for a sec, Phyllis. When you talk about having a woman general as your commander, how was that different? than having a male commander, and has that played a role in the amazing success that you have right now? Yeah, absolutely. So the difference was, um, you know, and, there, and don't get me wrong, 
the military is still not without challenges as it comes to gender in terms of leadership and opportunities and equal uh, or equal opportunity for that matter. And there's still a bit of, we still have a long way to go in the Department of Defense as it pertains to that. But during the, uh, during the early 80s, um, or late 70s and early 80s, um, you know, women were just not getting those senior leadership roles. I mean, you could count the amount of female generals that were in the Army at the time. So having, and what it really, it was a visual, more of a visual um, for me to see that because then it gave me the aspirations to say, wow, if she did it, and, you know, I can do this. You know, it, it really, you you really, and, and, I, and I know that's what I did for others when they saw an African-American female senior leader. Uh, so these generals and these command sergeant majors that were, uh, that were way before my time, uh, they, they are the, if I had I not had that experience and never seen those women and never had the exchange, I don't think that um, it would have, I would have been, a, you know, really looking at I could really achieve that level myself. And I think uh, it's a missed opportunity when you don't have others that look like you. And, and, and how it transferred in business, I, have a, I had a business mentor. And when I, and I can tell you this, so I take, for example, if I look at a, a senior female in the military, that's what made me want to go higher and say, I can do this. I can go to the highest rank because I've been around them. I've talked to them. I've heard the challenges. And, you know, it's, all, it's almost like, you know, you, you've had an opportunity firsthand to hear somebody's account of what it's like to get there. So on the business side, I took that same approach when I met a mentor of mine who was a billion-dollar company. And so – now, I, I, I have first sec, hold on, because you're talking about your mentor, and tell us first about leaving the military and your business, how you got started, and then mentorship, because right now you are mentoring people by telling your story, and I am so grateful that you're doing it, because you're saying, you know what, if this person can do it, I can do it, and everybody listening to you is saying, okay, okay, she had success, I can do it, and I know you're going to share some secrets to your success because those secrets are nothing less than revolutionary as far as I'm concerned. But Phyllis, how did you make that transition out of the military and transition into starting your company? Was it before or after you found your mentor? How does that all fit together? Definitely, the mentor came afterwards. But when I met, so during the what made me decide was I was at that point where I knew that I, I had reached that level of success in the military, and I knew that there was something big that I wanted to do outside the military. So when I transitioned, the year before I left, I began to think. I began to put on my thinking cap, and I started sowing this the seed. Um, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I wanted to start a business, and I just didn't think about it. I took. And you're talking about sowing seeds in your thoughts, right? Yes. Absolutely. All right, process. everybody, you might want to write that down. Sowing the seeds of your thoughts of what you want to create is one of the secrets of success. Absolutely, and and so I began to think about that. 
day in, day out, I would dwell on those thoughts and I would take those thoughts to a higher level and say, okay, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to do this with the business. And then I began to execute some of that. And then I said, okay, I've started the business. And, and it would give you, I would start to think more and more, okay, I'm going to be a CEO. And, and all these things I would think. And so before I, so I actually, before I even left the military, I had mentally already transitioned. So the transition, and one of the things I always say to people, you can't, you can't transition and execute at the same time. That's a very difficult task. So you have to begin that transition mentally before you actually execute. Interesting. All right, another secret. Get mentally prepared. Do the mental transition. Even before you start moving your feet, have that mental map laid out. That's what you're saying, yeah? Absolutely. All right, so, everybody. So when I I'm left the military, notes. so when I left the military, and I, I had already transitioned, I had already started the company, I had already, you know, went out and got all the legalese done and all that. And then I remember um, sitting home one day, and I said, you know, my, my, and the, the the thing about it, I knew that I had to have, I had I had, had to have mental power. To do this, it, you know, because fear, you know, there were so many people who had gotten out of the military who had called me and said, oh, my God, I started a company and it didn't work out. And I had to get rid of all that thought and, and just, you know, just decide that I wasn't going to listen to that because so many people had talked about their failures versus the success. And so I began to get my own mind strong and I said, you know what, I, today is the day that I will build this company. And so I had just read this book, and The Art of Getting Rich. And the book was so powerful that I pulled out, I stayed up all night just reading this book until it resonated with me that I had the power to create anything that I wanted and to dream big and, and to make those dreams come true and, and be able to execute it. And so after I read that book, I was sitting in my office okay, at now home. everybody, we're going to give you the name of the book. The Science the, of Getting Rich. Rich. And the book is by William, uh, by Waddles. Yes, Wallace Waddles. Waddles. Mm-hmm. Waddle, 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 Wallace Waddles. Yeah, he's a tongue twister. And you can grab that on Amazon. And that's a little book, Phyllis, because when the first time I spoke to you, you mentioned the book. Of course, I jumped on Amazon and got it and downloaded it onto my Kindle. And it's powerful. So what was the most important thing you learned sitting up all night reading that book? You said you had already decided you had to be mentally tough, that you couldn't listen to other people's negative stories about what didn't work. You had to be tough. And what came next? What jumped out of the book for you? The the thing that jumped out of the book for me that to this day I try to live by that it is it's acting in a certain way that you cannot say I'm going to go and run a multi-million dollar business, but you don't act like you own a multi-million dollar business. You act in a certain way. Uh, if you have and, and so and you think a certain way, acting and thinking in a certain way for for it to manifest to what you want the outcome to be. So so if if I wanted to be a successful CEO. I had to begin to act like a CEO first and to begin to think like a successful CEO. That's what I took away from the book. So when, when, I, when I looked at that, I said, okay, 
you know, I have the will because it talks about how to use your will and how to use uh, your thought process to create, um, you know, uh, the you know what you're trying your dream, what you're trying to do. And I remember sitting down with this board, and I said uh, the board was blank, and I and I began to I began to put all the things. I said, you know, okay, what type of company do I want? And I and I had to know what that was. I wanted what was the culture like? What, who were the clients? Who were um, who were the competitors? Um, and I'm, what type of people do I want to hire? Who do I want on the team? What are you know? What are the skill sets? And then what type of revenue did it? That was the key. That was a, 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 a critical thing to know what type of revenue. And I said. What I would consider successful is a multi-million dollar business. I said, I'm going to write a check. I'm going to write that check for a million dollars. And I, I even put a picture of the office that I wanted my building to be. And and I will tell you this, today I'm in that same building that I actually had a picture oh, of. Oh, you're kidding. You put the picture no, up was, and now you're in the building? I'm in the same building. have been there for eight years. Wow. Uh, now, uh, now this check you wrote. You told right. me a story that I love about the check and getting ready. You said that you were walking around the house falling down, and your son was saying, Mom, what are you doing falling down? What was that all about? <laughs> so, so, so here's the thing. So in this book, it talked about, you know, if you if 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 you uh, it's it's it said if you whatever you believe the outcome to be go ahead and feel that now what the outcome feels like and and so when you start and so I said I wanted to you know when I if I had a million dollar check if I could just walk into the bank and cash it I probably would fall down in the floor like oh my God I can't believe so I started falling down I said oh God I can't believe this and my son goes Mom what's wrong with you I said. I got a oh, I just got a check, and I can cash it at the bank for a million dollars. And I would do this because I said I had to know what that felt like, so that I could so that I could strive to do it and to have that feeling. So I, I had that feeling ten, twenty, thirty times before it ever even happened. And I would and when I would get a little stressed out about okay, well, you know, we didn't get this, we didn't hit this, I'd go fall out of the floor because <laughs> I. Sleeping. So that sound that you hear right now, Phyllis, that's everybody falling out so they can practice getting that feeling of that million-dollar check. But that makes sense because everybody who listens to Good Love Radio has heard me say this before. Your brain creates a pattern for everything that you do. And if you want a million-dollar check, you better build a million-dollar pattern in your brain so you're ready for it. I love Absolutely. that story. And what are some of the actions that a CEO would take? When you said act like the CEO of a multi-million dollar company, what did you do? What were some of the actions you took? So some of, and I will tell you, some of the things that I did was um, I, began, I began to um, empower the staff with that same thought process and, and bring people around me, and I would say, you know, we, we never thought about losing a contract that, okay, we're going to win this. And, and when you get everybody buying into that and believing in that and saying it, and so it was the same thing, you know, writing the contract out and signing it, saying we want it before it ever happened, you know, just those those sort of things. And or I remember one time getting the staff ready for, for 
we hadn't we had not won the contract we had not been notified we didn't know if we were going to win but i said to my president at the time i said go ahead we're going to schedule a win party and he goes a win party but we haven't won anything i said we need to have this party and we need to celebrate like nobody's business and i said because the win is coming I say we just need to party now because we're going to have too much work to do to have the party after the win. <laughs> and so we end up winning that contract. And he said, later on, I'm glad we had that party before this win. <laughs> so it, it, it's just little things like that that people. But that's a big thing. That's a big thing because, once again, everybody who wants success has to get ready for success because when you're waiting for a contract or waiting for a job or waiting for funding, the opposite is usually going on for most people. They're sitting there being anxious and fearful, and I'll tell you, this has all been proven by science. Thoughts are real. Thoughts are energy. You're pushing away what you want if you go into negative thinking. Celebrating is positive. It's like a magnet. Absolutely. So so even if you're celebrating um you know something smaller, you know, you're you, there's a there's a change going on in the organization, there you know if you if you if you if you get your team on board with that and and then you will see if you know you will see you know what type of team do you have? Do you have the right team members? Uh if you have um a person that's not on board, you quickly know that by them not wanting to participate or they think it's nonsense, they're, they're probably the, the sea that's the negative sea that's causing things to go in a different direction. So you have to really pay attention to, to you know, who you have on your team as well. Um, so those were some of the things that, that, that I did. And, and then so starting the company out of the box, we became very successful quickly. But a lot of that had to do with, um, you know, you know, again, the thought process is that we're going to think a certain way. I remember walking into a supplier one time, and they said, wow, how did you get we, – we, I had two employees at the time. They thought I was a company that had 600 employees. She, this this, this um, uh, supplier, uh, supplier manager, she said, she said, wow, I never heard of your company. And she said, you know, you know, so what, your team, you must have a pretty big team here in Atlanta. And there was only two employees. But she, we, she never knew. I never said, yeah, we only have two people. I never said we had 600 people. I, I just said, you know, I said, well, I'm so glad that we, we are giving you the image because I never went in and said, well, I don't have that many people. I, don't have, I, I never went in. So what I did always you do that convinced her you had a big team and you were already successful? But because I acted a certain way, I acted as as a person would act that had a big team that did believe that they could get the job, that did believe that they were the ones uh, that should be chosen. So, so my, my mindset was is that, and I say this to my salespeople all the time, is that you have to you have to be the one to get people to to buy into you, and it is how you if you if you're not a great listener and you listen and you say you know. If you don't establish great rapport and you don't believe that this is this conversation was supposed to happen, it's going to be positive. You know, I you know when I went to see this lady that day, someone had told me, "Oh my God, you're not going to get anything from that lady. She doesn't help anyone." Oh, oh you're, no, you're wasting your time. And so I immediately began to, and started thinking a certain way. I started thinking a certain way, 
And I said, um, I said, oh, I'm going to go in here. It's going to be great results. I said, this lady's going to want to do business with Extreme Solutions. She's going to love us. She's going to uh, tell me, you know, when do we get started? This is going to be so positive. And when I walked in, I said, I said, I'm so excited that, that I get an opportunity to spend an hour with you. You don't know how long I've been waiting to spend this hour with you. And the lady turned around and looked. It's like somebody else was standing behind her. She said, who, me? I said, yeah. I, I said, I'm excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was And a, excitement it was, is infectious. Excitement is infectious. Right. Oh, my and, goodness. You're raising the bar for everybody. Now, Phyllis, we have a question that just came in via Facebook. It says, okay. I am a woman entrepreneur. I just started my business a year ago, and it is really tough. What's your advice for me? Now, she didn't say okay. what's tough about it. This is Kat from Sacramento. So, so for, okay, so first of all, this goes back to Brenda. You know you and I talk about this a lot is why did you start the business from the beginning? What, what is your reason why? Because your reason why you started a business will define what you consider tough and what you consider a challenge and how you get past it. Because if you don't really know why am I in this, what is, what's the end game here? Because you, if you, cause those are the times that's carried me through what may have been or could have been a long challenge you know, I, I've had a hiccup in the road, and that's how I like to think of it. But when you say it concerns me, if you say, oh, things are tough, you know, the first question would be is that why did you start the business and, and, and what is your end game? Because that's what I would say defines your level of success is really predicated on your reason why. Mm. So what was your reason, Phyllis? What was your why? Because at this point in the game, let, let me say this, everybody, Extreme Solutions has been recognized already by the Women Presidents Organization. That's a global organization of women presidents and CEOs. It's already been recognized as one of the top 50 fastest growing women-owned businesses in 2013 and 2014. Already right. been in Forbes magazine twice this year, Phyllis, I know that, and in Inc. <laughs> magazine, okay, you've got Power Awards honors for Extreme Solutions, and you're ranking fifth in the Georgia Jobs Creation and tenth in revenue and 18th in job growth over the past three years. Now, that's a lot. Is How does the why factor into all of that success? So I... So when I started the business, my reason why was more about having a legacy. I told you I came from a big family. There had never been an entrepreneur in my family. I was the first, so I had to get it right. So, you know, so that's why those tough times um, didn't last very long with me because I knew that failure was not an option because I was trying to create a legacy and give hope to other people in my family that, you know, you can do this. And because now you know someone who's done it. So, so, but my why quickly changed as we became successful. The company started growing. We'd hit the multi-million dollar platform. Then my why became more of, you know, it's not about the money. It's not about the cars. It's not about the home. How are you using your success to create an impact 
in the communities that you serve, that you're aware of, that, that communities that look like you. And I say that there are many co- communities and platforms that I had ability to speak from, the veteran community. Most people talked about how tough it was to transition from the military and start a business. I was approved. Now I could, I could dispute that now. Most people talk about what it's like being an African-American woman that to make it to the multi-million dollar level. I could dispute that now. Most people talk about in general as a woman. And so there's many plat- platforms that I could speak from and, so, and, and that I could make an impact now. So then as, as we started to continue to grow, continually grow, I look back and say, well, you know, what, you know what, why am I still doing this? And it's now uh, more of how I make a bigger impact. So, it's, it, again, it's not about if, if, if your success is about how much revenue you can get. You can get the revenue, but at some point you will burn out, and, then, and it won't be impactful to anyone. So I think you have to constantly examine your reason why you're doing something because sometimes your reason that you're doing it might, may be the reason the business is not successful, and maybe, maybe there is an opportunity that you can that can come out of that, which would lead you to something else, uh, more of a niche area where it would be successful. Hmm. So you're saying if it's not working, examine the why, but you also keep updating your why so you have a bigger impact. And we'll talk a little more later in the program about where you're making that impact community because I know you're doing some tremendous things with veteran services. But we have another question. Uh, Kind of along the lines of that first one, this is from Sandy in L.A. It says, what do you use for motivation when something doesn't work out as planned? Um, I I would tell you this. So so I have have, uh, some of my sisters and and some some of my senior executives, uh, you know, most people know not to come with to me with anything negative. Even like we 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 bid on a contract recently, and uh, it wasn't one that we won. And so, uh, you know, one would think, you know, we put a lot of time and energy into this, and and so when I was told about it, and I, I my reaction was, okay, so we didn't need to win something that small. We, the reason we didn't win this because that's not the big one that we're going to get. So I changed the mindset. Again, it goes back to thinking a certain way. I don't want to think about, um, you know, all the disappointments. So I look at how do we learn from this? How do we grow from this? You know, what are some lesson learned that we can take away that helps us for the success that we're getting ready to have? And so that, that's how I try, that's really as a leader, because you're, you're so accountable to the culture and the, and the morale of your organization. And so as a leader, you have to lead by example. And part of that is that if you throw in the, if you throw in the flag and say, hey, it's over, everybody, I believe today because we had a, you know, we had a snafu, it's over, then, then what do you expect your team to do? So I have to lead by example. And, and part of that is always keep it a positive mindset no matter what happens. There are going to be things that, that, that causes bumps in the road, but for the most part, there are some great things that are going to happen when you can get past that bump in the road. Hmm. So when the team is not motivated, how do you motivate them? What's your primary strategy as a leader, Phyllis? Um, I'll, I'll give you an example um, you know, about, about motivation. 
I had, an, you know, one one thing that I, 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 one of my core strengths is, is certainly in the sales arena, and and so you know, um, when I and, I'm, and I like to analyze numbers and look at data and say, okay, here's where I think we're falling short. Here's where here's a little hole that we slipped in, and and so I, I remember sitting down with a couple of my sales folks the other day. And I was I, I actually made a couple of phone calls to show them, but that was motivation to them because they saw a uh, someone and said, "Oh yeah, this guy won't call you back. He won't ever answer the phone." And I actually picked the phone, got the guy established rapport, and told him, "I said, oh, you want to speak to me? You want to have a great conversation with me?" I said, "Everybody wants to talk to me." I was joking with the guy, and. This guy said, you know, wow, I couldn't get the first base with this guy. And that's, that, that's a level of motivation. That is, that is just um, how I motivate them versus beating up your team and telling them, you know, you, you aren't doing this. Lead by example. Just be a leader by example. Mm, but positive example. That's exactly. a very positive example. You used humor. You used warmth. You said, hey, let me show you how it's done. And that whole beat-up thing, you know, there's a lot of research on that. Just one little teeny-weeny research tidbit, everybody. We, Granny used to put it like this, you're going to win more, how did she say, you're going to catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Okay, that was my grandmother, her little southernism from New Orleans. But the research actually shows that people respond to positive feedback more than negative so that is a brilliant way to motivate your team and i appreciate that and if you want to join the conversation keep those questions coming we love them hit me back on facebook dr brenda wade or you can tweet us at dr brenda wade or send uh not send you can call 347-989-0776 now, Phyllis, what was the toughest moment for you on your road to success? And you have extreme solutions, and you've taken it to extreme success. What was your toughest moment? How did you handle it? Well, you know what? I would tell you this. So, um, you know, here's where I think a lot of women struggle. And and we talk about this a lot in our WPO, and I I thank God for WPO because it is an organization that empowers women sort of like um, peer-to-peer, you know, uh, advisory. You know, we we, we don't get into just giving advice, but as I talk to a lot of women who have children, who are raising, you know, kids, and they're they're trying to do the entrepreneur, here here is the thing. I, I remember when I first started the business, my son was very young. Uh, you know, um, he's 17 now, but at the time uh, he was around two, three years old. And so trying to have balance there and, and you, know, you know, be a great mom, don't miss the boat on this, but really developing that, that's a really tough road when you first get into, um, when you first get into an entrepreneur if you have a family. And not just this children, it's the whole family, you know, uh, I'm very connected to my immediate family, and so you know, not being able to be at a lot of gatherings, not so so, just really trying to balance that out. And I think um, what helped me through that was I I stayed focused on the reason why. You know, the the reason why was if you don't invest the time and you don't, sometimes you just have to be absent. 
Um, but then when you are present, then you be present. So I think I had to learn how to do that and, and, not, um, uh, and not feel guilty. And so that was a tough time for me because I'd be on the road and, you know, I'd never miss a football game. I'd always fly back and make sure I was home on Friday. And as the business started to grow, you know, I'd start missing a little football game. And it would kill me. But then one day my, my son joked about it and he says, Mom, he said, that's, he said, that's okay. He says, I know, you know, you're, you're building a business um, and you, you didn't really want to miss my football game. And so, you know, and, it, it, and that was a tough period for me. But then um, mm-hmm. I, learned, I learned how to, how to balance that with, with the success. And, and, you know, thank God he, he got it. He understood that, and he was very supportive. Well, I also of, got some advice I'm going to throw in because I love it that you said you had to make those choices, and those are tough. But I was having lunch. I was speaking at an event in New York a few years ago. Barbara Walters was on the same panel. Uh, We were both speaking at this event. So we were having lunch together. And I said, well, Barbara, you know, you're a working mother. I'm a working mother. You know, we're both in media. I'm not at your level. Uh, But, you know, what advice do you have for me? And she said, well, Brenda, you know, that voice of hers, she said, Uh, I look at those mothers who are at the PTA meetings and those mothers who are going on the field trips, and I can never be that mother, but I'll tell you something. Their kids have turned out just as badly as mine. Wow. (laughs) I thought, okay, is that advice? (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) her point was, you do the best you can, and it's going to turn out however it turns out. But I know that for you, your positive lessons to your team are also lessons you brought home because of the way your son responded to that. Absolutely. He encouraged so was, and supported you. He learned that from somewhere. Absolutely. So that so and and I and I even uh, young you know entrepreneurs now. Um, when they talk about, well, you know, I hardly ever get to see my kids. I'm on the road, and and I always tell them, you need to ask yourself why you're doing it. Because if 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 it's if you don't really have a, a very definitive reason why, um, it will it it will determine how far you go with this. Now you've got the success. You've got the success. What does that mean for you now when you look back over the journey? the bumps, and I know there's still bumps, there's still challenges, but what does all that mean to you now? Uh, I, I look at it, uh, Brenda, as a bigger, I have a bigger responsibility and accountability to help others achieve the same thing. It, it's it's almost like, you you know, I don't know if you've ever taken a, you ever been a, in, when you were in school and you were the first one to get through with a problem and everybody else was struggling with that problem. And, and you were so excited that you that you figured a problem out, but and then then you didn't just want to sit back in the class and see people struggle. You wanted to get up and say, well, let me show you how I did it. And then as you start to see other people get it, you feel good that you're making an impact based off of the fact that you understand something and that it is a responsibility to make sure that everybody's educated on that as well. And that's what I feel like now is that there is a level of understanding that I have about how to achieve this thing and how to do this um, and what has worked for me and what are the, the real real 
um, you know, uh, successes that I can say, this is how I did that and this is why this worked, and, and, and not just hold that information but go out and share that information and be very open, and be, and, but be very responsible how you do that. Mm, that makes sense. We have a question here. Uh, I'm a business consultant working to be successful, and I'm a workaholic. My challenge is my family life and my work. My wife is furious with me. How can I balance the two? Jeffrey from San Francisco. Thank you, Jeffrey. Getting real here, I think we're going to have to talk about saving that marriage. So what, what's your advice to Jeffrey? Well, and, and so, again, this goes back to, um, you, you know, to, to grow the business. You, you, and this is what I, I think I had to do with friends, Brenda. I'm going to just keep it real with you. I, during this journey, um, you know, the friends that I thought would be very supportive were, uh, you know, they didn't support because it's like, you know, what do you mean you can't come? You all, you always come, but you know, hey, I'm trying to grow the business and I've really got to work on this, and so, um, so don't expect for everybody to buy into your journey. When it comes to family, you have to, um, you have to be present when you're there. It's it's one thing to be absent, but when you are present, you have to be present. So that means you have to shut off that phone. You have to. Um, you know, turn off that TV. You have to give back that time to your family that is often taken away as a result of trying to grow in a business. And and that's just a commitment you have to make. You have to sit down and say, okay, when I'm not traveling, every Thursday night is our time together. If I'm not on the road every Thursday night, we're going to make a commitment that we're going to either do dinner or we're going to do something, and we're going to reconnect. You have to have that reconnection time because at the end of the day, um, that's your b- biggest supporting cast. And if they're not supporting you, th- again, your reason why won't matter in the end. Ooh, good advice. And let me drop something in here as the love doctor. It is really important to enroll your family, enroll your spouse in the dream and begin dreaming together what this can mean for us. And I love Phyllis's advice about having a date night that's a standing date And technology is your friend. We're in the digital age. Get on Skype and have a sex date on Skype, okay? Do what you need to do to keep it hot and juicy and fun, even if you aren't there. You can do that. Everybody knows you can do sexting over your phone. Do it. And when you're home, ask your spouse, what would rock her world Does she want to go out to dinner? Does she want to walk on the beach? You live in San Francisco, so there are all kinds of beautiful things to do here. But ask her what she wants. And best of all, I I know this really works for a lot of women. When you come home, bring something, even if it's just a note you wrote her, that says, I was thinking about you while I was gone. Because what's hard for partners is to feel like they're in one world and you're in another world and ne'er the twain shall meet. You've got to let those worlds meet. All right, that's all I have to say as a love doctor. All right, Phyllis, one of the things you spoke about when we talked earlier, you said you recognize that for women business owners, the toughest thing is to get funding. Address that issue of funding because for a lot of entrepreneurs, there was actually a study done 
uh, Nell Merlino, who started Take Your Daughter to Work Day, uh, had lunch with me not that long ago, and Nell said they found that women businesses fizzle out at the $250,000 mark, and they don't grow because women don't get funding and they don't get mentorship. Right. Um, I, I would tell you this. Uh, I would tell you this in terms of um, the funding. That that was so. And I'll tell you how it started. This is this is just a, a incredible journey that I had financially. I'm I had as I said I had a mentor, but when I first started a business, I used every dollar that I had, and I was totally out of money. And like I told you, failure wasn't an option. So. So I was very creative, and I didn't go to family. I didn't go to friends because I came from a family that didn't really have a lot of money. So I, so I went to the bank, and I said, you know, I, I wanted to get a, a small business loan for a bank. Well, you haven't been in business for two years. You haven't done this. You haven't done this. And so I wouldn't stop there. So I said, okay, there has to be some creative funding. Uh, so I went to um, a business owner, and I said, um, you know, I went to a guy, a friend of mine, and I said, listen, I said, I have an opportunity to expand this business and get the work, but I cannot get the funding from the bank because we don't have enough time. And so um, he said, hey, I'll fund this contract for you. I'll do do this. So that was our first, um, our, our first, um, my first big um, contract. And so to get another business to fund it. So even though the bank wouldn't give us the, give me the money at the time. I knew that I had other resources, so you have to look for external and creative funding that might not be your traditional funding. And I think that's where women fall into that trap is that, you know, the realization is that the bank is still going to have, you know, governance around what they will and won't loan in the type of businesses. Uh, and unfortunately, um, we, we just don't get a lot of funding because they don't – if you look at how many women actually scale their business to a multimillion-dollar business, that number is less than 2% in the United States. Oh, less, wow. I didn't know it was that low. It's very low. And, and so when you, when, you, when you look at that number as, as, as many women that own you know, the small businesses, that number is so low. And so, so the bank looks at that and says, well, you know, we're not going to fund a – a small coffee shop. Well, you know, when you get some customers and you get this up, well, that's why you want to get started. So, so the challenges are still there. Now, I now granted, there are so many banks now that have small business programs that are geared towards lending to women-owned businesses, but they want to see a business that's scalable. So, there's a lot of due diligence you have to do in order and and get somebody who who's been in banking to advise you to say what does an application need to look like. What what is what does my profit and my balance sheet need to look like before I go to the bank and put you in a better position so that the bank can say, wow, you know your financials look really good, and it's, it might be just having uh, someone who's skilled enough to clean up your financials so that it makes you look good when you go to the bank. But but try a lot of creative. Now it was my decision to be a debt free company. So uh, as we grew, I I, I um, had a mentor who runs a billion-dollar company, which is one of the um, private-owned companies that's still debt-free at a billion dollars. So that was my aspiration is that if we don't have to go to the bank and, you know, get a $25 million loan, 
then I'm not going to do that. I'm going to fund. And so we've gotten in a position where we're able to fund other small businesses that, just as someone did for me, we're doing the same thing for other businesses who can't get a loan from the bank, but we believe that they have a scalable business. So we we will fund their contracts for so them. So you've got your own shark tank going down there. That's great. I <laughs> yeah, love it. This is a big issue now. I want to say, Phyllis, do you believe that one of the reasons women-owned businesses don't get funding is that women have a harder time asking or women don't know where to go find resources? I think it's not finding the resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that it is part of it is um, um, it's, it's just resources and, and not, not really looking at what creative ways you know, maybe you maybe it's a hybrid. You know, you're going to get some of the funding, and it's the same thing with, uh, uh, you know, when when you are when you're looking at a, 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 when you're trying to scale your business, uh, you've got women that are at that ten million dollar mark, and they're trying to get to twenty, and and they can't they can't get the funding to scale, so they they're forced to go out and use you know all other alternatives, you know, venture capitalist funds or you know that sort of thing. Um, because they they cannot get traditional funding from the bank, so it, it's you know I think I think it's a, it's a and it also too it's a lack of education that we don't have um, we we you know we don't go on the golf course a lot of us you know when we we talk about this today is that you know one of our WPO members said to me one day we were at, at one of the conferences and she said you know you know it, it's a shame when you can be two hundred million and you still have um, you still have to prove to the bank that you're a company that can scale. Mm. And we last a $200 million, $200 million company still, the bank wants to say, you know, how do we know you can scale this to $250 million? Wow, that's amazing. So tell us about your give back. What does it mean for you as a successful woman entrepreneur to be in a position to give back and which causes are your big why right now? Uh, so one of my big give backs, of course, and I'm very, very passionate about this, is the, it's in the veteran community. I'm a veteran, and I think, too, over the last 10 years, um, as, you know, we've been in this war, um, you know, I've seen more veterans that are coming that have come back that are totally broken, and I think it's almost a tragedy that uh, we as Americans, um, you know, see this and that, um, we're, you know, nothing is really being done about it. And the recent news of what, all the deaths that were caused as a result of negligence at some of the VA is is, is, is a clear indication of what how our veterans live in this country. And that's a shame because I, I honestly feel like you know you know most of these folks volunteer to serve. They volunteer to protect this nation, and there's no reason that they should come back here and have less than the best care care in the world. And so um, when I when I first started, as I told you, my reason why was about the legacy. And then someone contacted me and asked me, did I know what the number of homeless veterans were? What that number was in the city of Atlanta? And I said, you know, I, I, I would imagine it's low. And they said Atlanta has one of the, um, hi, you know, highest areas of, of homeless veterans in the country. And I was like, really? I didn't know that. And so I went, you know, this person uh, with Quest 35 
took me out underneath a bridge and showed me all of the veterans. They had their own community uh, that all the veterans would go to that was homeless, and it just brought tears to my eyes. So I became very passionate and an advocate for helping come up with the solution in the city of Atlanta that we were going to start to decrease that number and get these veterans into homes and get them back and transition back into the communities um, uh, as they well deserve to be. So that's one of the things that I'm oh, passionate excellent. about. excellent. Good for you, Phyllis. And a lot of people, let me throw this in, a lot of people ask, well, how do veterans end up, they can go to war and function at this high level, come home, they can't. Everybody, PTS is a brain injury, and the brain has to be healed in the proper way, or people just can't function, literally cannot function, and the pain that goes with it is pain that often gets medicated by alcohol and drugs because part of PTS is extreme anxiety. So I just want you to have an understanding that people aren't of low character if they're homeless. There's a reason veterans can't function. They are broken. So Phyllis, you are giving back in a big way, in a very important way to our veterans. We spend billions of dollars on war. We can spend a few million to get our veterans healthy and healed and heal those brain injuries. Now, what are the three top things you would recommend for anyone who is thinking of starting a business or who is a business owner who wants to grow their business, what do they need to do? Give us your best three hits. Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is clearly define your why. You know, and even if you're in that startup stage right now and you're saying, I'm going to start this coffee shop, and, and, and what is it? Are you passionate about the coffee? Are you doing it for this reason? You, you have to know what that reason is. Um, the second thing I'm, I'm going to tell you is do your due diligence. You know, do your due diligence. And, and, and what I mean by that is that so, sometimes we say, well, I want to start a consulting firm. Consulting on what? You know, well, I want to consult. I'm very good with project management. I want to start a project management company. If you don't do your due diligence and you don't go out there, you don't look around, you don't say, how many companies in this area of Sacramento or Atlanta or D.C., um, how many consulting companies are there? And what, what would the com- competitive uh, – what would my competitors look like, and who would I have to compete with, and what are, what are my customers? You you need to do all of that homework first, and 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 when you do that, it will help you even further define your why. So that all ties back together, knowing why you're doing it. Well, there are no companies out here that do, that can do what I do. That's why I want to do this. I want to offer this very unique service. That's a very compelling reason why no one else is doing it. Um, and the and the the, the the third thing I would say is that whatever you do, make it impactful. Because if it's not impactful, it won't last very long. Mm. All right. Words to live by, everybody. Get that why down. Because what you're talking about is really what we call living from your heart. Your why is the thing that makes you get up in the morning, the thing that keeps you going, gets you over the bumps and the humps, and it's the defining moment for most people. I got into this because I really believed I could make a difference, and I am in a unique position, and that why is it. 
All right, everybody, you have been listening to a wonderful woman who has come from almost, I would have to say almost from nowhere and nothing, as my granny used to say, to extreme success. Her business is called Extreme Solutions. She founded it in 2002, and it is end-to-end IT services and solutions and she is in the business of cyber security, and you can keep track of her if you are reading magazines about success because she's there. But she's recommending to all of us that we read the book, Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles, and we appreciate knowing about that. Now, you can also be in touch with Miss Phyllis Newhouse at solutions dash inc dot com extreme solutions that's x t r e m e solutions little hyphen then inc dot com fellas i can't thank you enough for your mentorship all the coaching you gave us a lot of people will be downloading this later and if you have questions or comments feel free to send them to us we'd love to hear from you we'll collect them all Send them to Miss Phyllis Newhouse. Now, next week, coming up, we have Santita Jackson, Jesse Jackson's eldest child, who will be our guest. She is a brilliant, politically-minded woman in her own right with a very big heart. And following that, we'll have Dr. L.B. Wish on sex, money, and breakups right here. And mark your calendar now. Because in September, that's September 27th and 28th, we're going to do our next two-day live intensive, and that is called Living Your Purpose and Reaping the Rewards. All right, everyone, thank you. Send a big heartfelt thank you to Phyllis Newhouse. Phyllis, here's a big hug. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. All right, everyone. Thank you to Cliff Dunning, our associate producer. Thank you to our brilliant producer, Mr. LeGrand Green. And everyone, I love you. Bless you all. Good night. Mm-hmm.